Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Prayer. And they'll say, hey, what are you doing Christmas Eve? Our church is doing something. Here's what we're up to. And invite that person to, to worship. So those are available. I hope you can grab some of those as well. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this passage and talk about getting ready for Christmas. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the, the kids this morning and uh, just their, the way they blessed us. And uh, what a joy, Lord. What a joy to, to be part of that with them. Uh, we thank you for your word and for this time uh, today to, to study scripture together. I pray you will speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, this is the less familiar part for some for the, of the Christmas story, but it's still familiar to many. And yet it's fresh, it's new, because your Holy Spirit is working in new ways in each one of our lives. And so I pray you'd help us to hear what you have for us today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, a, a company in England, a British company, commissioned a, a study on worker productivity. And it was a very specific study. They specifically wanted to know how Christmas affected the productivity of their workers. Uh, what's the impact, they wanted to know. What's the impact of all the parties and the lunches and the online shopping people do at their desks? Uh, what's the cost of all that to the company? Uh, to nobody's surprise, the study found that, yes, Christmas does, in fact, make workers less productive. There's other benefits, helps with morale and all the rest, but uh, more than half, more than half of the workers in this study said that uh, they did at least 20% less work in the week before Christmas. And so Christmas made them 20% less productive at their jobs for at least a week there at, uh, at the, at the, near the end of the year. Well, we're going to talk about getting ready for Christmas today. They were getting ready for Christmas, and it made them less productive. We're going to talk about getting ready for Christmas, and it won't cost your boss a thing. Uh, and I say that because we're going to talk about our hearts. We're not talking about online shopping and parties we do or don't want to go to. Uh, we're talking about preparing our hearts for Christmas, for, for Jesus. Christmas, it's not so much preparing for Christmas, but Christmas is a great opportunity to prepare for the Lord, to, to see where our hearts are at and to prepare ourselves for him. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the conception of John the Baptist, right? So we were in the first part of Luke chapter one. Uh, last week, we looked at the Annunciation to Mary, but we, we, we looked at the conception of John two weeks ago. Today, we're gonna focus on John's birth. So we come back now that story. And if you wonder what does the birth of John the Baptist have to do with the birth of Jesus, and Luke gives it a lot of attention, you say, what's the, what's the connection? Well, the answer to that question is that God sent John to prepare people for Jesus. That was, that was his mission. That's why John was born and why he gets so much attention in the scripture. He was born to prepare people for Jesus. And so we're going to let John do that for us today. We're going to let John help us prepare uh, our own hearts for Jesus Christ. And to do this, I want to focus on three attitudes. There are, there are three attitudes in the passage we're looking at this morning, and they all have to do with heart preparation. They all have to do with preparing our hearts for the Lord. I will say, given the time of year and, and where the passage occurs in, in Luke, I will say that this definitely applies to Christmas. As we think about honoring and celebrating the birth of Jesus, uh, it's definitely a Christmas thing, but it's not only Christmas, right? These things we're talking about this morning, the truth of the matter is we need these three attitudes we're going to talk about, we need them all year long. 
And we'll be healthier and, and, and more spiritually uh, contented as we do cultivate these three attitudes. So, so let's talk about three attitudes of a, of a prepared heart. Number one, attitude number one that helps us prepare our hearts for the Lord is joy. Cultivating joy over the Lord's mercy. All the sights and the sounds and the bells and the whistles and all that other stuff, uh, those are wonderful expressions of joy, but they're not the source of joy. Not for us. They're not the source of real joy. The source of joy, scripturally, is the realization and the recognition that, recognition that God has been merciful. God has been merciful to us. That leads to joy. Uh, and that's what you see in, in this, this wonderfully joyful scene when John the Baptist is born. It comes back to mercy. Uh, let, let's uh, look at the text. So we start with verse 57. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. That's the woman we met back at the beginning of the book. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So as we pick up the story, uh, Mary is at Elizabeth's house. We, we looked at that last week. Uh, Paul took us through that. And that passage ended in verse 56 by noting that Mary stayed for a while. She didn't just go back home to Nazareth. She stayed for three months. And then she went home. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, uh, probably to help, right? It's not easy carrying a baby, especially that last trimester. And Mary, younger woman, was there uh, to be helpful. I'm sure Elizabeth was glad she was there. Um, Luke says Mary then went home at the end of those three months. He doesn't say if Mary left before or after the baby was born, uh, but I, I would make the case that it's after. Uh, we, we talked last week about how um, a lot of scholars will tell you, and I think they're right, that uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 especially is our source for a lot of the material is Mary. She's the one who knew what the angel said to her. She's the one who knew all of these things. And I think she's the one who tells us what happened when John the Baptist was born. She was, she was still there. She was still visiting Elizabeth. And then after the baby was born, she, she went back home to Nazareth. We can't prove that, but it sure makes a lot of sense as we think about who would have recorded this for us. At any rate, after, uh, after three months, Mary is there visiting Elizabeth. The time comes, pregnancy comes to full term, and Elizabeth gives birth. And so it's huzzah, right? The baby is born. Elizabeth and Zechariah finally have that baby they've been praying and waiting for for decades. Uh, the news gets out, travels fast. Good news always does, especially when there's a new baby. And so people start hearing about it. The, the neighbors, the relatives, the friends, they hear the news and they come to the house, right? So you know, sometimes moms want to see friends and stuff. Sometimes like, no, stay away, give me a little time. But, but they come to the house. They, they, they come to see this miracle baby. And, and what does it say? It says they rejoiced, right? Luke tells us they rejoiced when they saw the baby. They shared her joy, another translation says, depending which one you're looking at. But notice the reason. Luke is very theological about this. Notice why they rejoice. It's not just because there's a new baby, which is reason enough to rejoice, but that's not the reason. The reason is specifically they rejoiced, verse 57, that the Lord had shown her mercy. They rejoiced that the Lord had shown her great mercy. It's actually verse 58. So that's what they see. That's what, what provokes the joy. That's the basis of the joy. They are rejoicing over the Lord's mercy. We ought to respond the same way. Right? There's a template there for us. There's an example to follow. We ought to respond the same way to the Lord's mercy, to, to respond with joy. 
And so I have a few tips today. You know, I, I want to re- recommend you give it a try this week. Give it a try, especially if, if you've been struggling. Maybe this isn't you, maybe it is, but if you've been struggling to muster some Christmas joy, you're like, oh man, it's the same old song. It's just, you know, if, if that's where you're at, well then try this. Set aside some time to focus on the Lord's mercy. Focus in on his mercies. Uh, for example, you could even do it this afternoon. The football games aren't that good anyway. Focus in, uh, set aside an hour, and, and, and get out a piece of paper. You know, where, where in your life has the Lord been merciful to you? And this is a little bit like count your blessings, you know, in Thanksgiving time, but, but it's also, it's, it's, a, it's a little different of an angle. It's a little more specific, right? Where, where, where has he shown you mercy? Where has he given you strength when you were really weak? You didn't know how you were going to get that through that get through that thing, but but he gave you the strength to get through. He showed you mercy. Uh, how, how has he provided for you in, in times of need? Right? Was there a time, maybe even recently, when you had the, a specific need, a physical need, a financial need, whatever it was, and, and he came through, he provided for you. What has he spared you? Right? I, I a lot of times I'll think of that when I think of mercy. There's so much he's spared us from. So much that could have happened, that he's, he's prevented from happening, that he's allowed not to happen. So, so where has he spared you? Where has he protected you? Make a list. Make a list of his mercies. And then rejoice. Rejoice in those mercies that he's shown you. Here's another thing we can try. Find a Bible verse about mercy. And there's lots of good ones in there. Find a, a Bible verse about mercy and, and memorize it this week. Just one verse, you know, or two verses maybe if they're short. You know, write it on a sticky note or put it in your phone. There's different ways people like to do that sort of thing. But, but find some sort of a way to, to, to make it visible, maybe where you shave or whatever, and, and just read through that verse a few times a day. You know, just this week. You know, if you do that, if you pick a simple one, uh, you'll have it memorized. Maybe even if you pick a complicated one, you'll, you'll have it memorized before you know it. And that stuff, it gets in our heads. It gets in there and helps us. Uh, you could try a verse like Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, because of his great, mer- his great love for us, Paul writes, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were still dead in our transgressions. That's worth getting excited about. That's not just theology to debate. That's, that's joy right there. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Or here's another one, 1 Peter, uh, P- 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. In his great mercy, Peter writes, God has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Can't say that about the Christmas presents we're going to get, right? Those are going to perish. Those are going to fade. Uh, but not, not, not what the Lord has done for us. Not what the Lord's given us. And so focus on some of those things. Meditate. Find some time this week to meditate. Wait, a way to meditate on the Lord's mercy. And the thing about that is that it leads to lasting joy. I think that's what we see in the Scriptures you know, the, the tree's going to turn brown, the neighbors is going to take down their Christmas lights, you know, and, and, and when they do, we still have joy. We still have joy because it's rooted in, in God's mercy and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So that's attitude number one. Uh, cultivate joy. Cultivate joy over the Lord's mercy. Number two, second attitude that helps us prepare our hearts is wonder. Wonder at the Lord's moving. Wonder at the ways the Lord moves. And, and this is, tr- of course, this is one of those things that's true all year round. We should, be, uh, we should meditate on and be filled with wonder for everything he does, all of his movings. Uh, but especially this time of year, especially when it comes to, to the nativity, to Christmas, 
You know, no matter how many times you've heard this story, no matter how, how, how old we are, the fact that God became a human baby, right? God eternal became a human being, that should fill us with wonder. It should fill us with wonder. And we get a preview of this idea of wonder. Again, John, John's purpose is to prepare us for, for Jesus. And he's doing that even before he's born and even as he's born. Because his birth, you, you see it in this text, his birth lays the groundwork for wonder at the even more important birth that's going to happen six months later. Um, pick up in verse 59. So it says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he, the father, Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. So the time comes for the, for the baby to be circumcised. And uh, this would have been on the eighth day, according to the law. Uh, by this time in Israel's history, the naming ceremony had been joined with the circumcision for, for a baby boy. And early, there's actually some evidence earlier in Israel's history, the naming would have been done separately. But by the first century, they're doing them at the same time. You know, so naming, so on the eighth day, the baby would be circumcised if he's a boy, and the baby would be named. The reason that matters is, you say, why, who cares, what does that matter? It matters because this is the first public discussion of the baby's name. Right, so these days, you know, you, you, your new baby's born, mom and dad, will, you know, or grand, maybe the grandparents will put the name up, you know, within hours on Facebook. You know, sometimes I've, I've seen, been, seen people name babies before the baby's born. Uh, you know, but, you know, and so, so we're kind of used to that happening then. But, but they waited until eight days, until day eight, before this would be announced. And so this is the first public discussion of his, of his name. We, and so it's interesting to see how this goes, because it's, it's really kind of surprising to watch how this goes. Um, see, to the rest of the family, to the rest of the family, it, the name was a foregone conclusion. There really wasn't a lot of suspense as far as they were concerned. Uh, his name was going to be Zechariah. They were going to call him Zechariah. Of course they would. In fact, the Greek, uh, the, the tense of the verb here even implies they were already calling him Zechariah. It's actually an imperfect. And so you know, they, were, they were calling him Zechariah. They were already talking about little baby Zeke and all the rest. Uh, and, and, and you say, why would they be so rude? Why would they make that assumption? Well, it, it's not really rude. It, it, it's, it, it was the standard practice, especially in a case like this. Uh, but a lot of times, um, especially a, a firstborn boy, he would be named after the father or maybe a grandfather to honor that relative. Very common practice. And so it makes a lot of sense for them to assume that the baby will be named Zechariah. However, uh, God has a different plan uh, and a different name uh, for this boy. And we know, because we've read earlier, that the boy's name is to be John. You are to name him John, the angel said. Zechariah knows this, and apparently he'd found a way to tell Elizabeth. So Elizabeth also knows this. So they're the only ones in on the secret. They're the only ones who know that the baby is to be named John. And so everyone else is calling him Zeke and talking about how he's going to be named Zechariah. And Elizabeth interrupts. And I think it's kind of forceful. You know, I don't know. Maybe it was gentle. Maybe I'm projecting here. But however it goes, she, she says, no. No, don't call him Zechariah. His name is John, she says. This prompts an argument of all things. I love it. The family actually starts arguing with Elizabeth about the name of her own baby. Anyone else got family like that? Anybody? <laughs> 
<laughs> they start arguing with her. No, you can't name him John. What are you doing? No, you got to name him Zechariah. There's nobody named John in our family. What are you thinking? And then they go to Zechariah. And, and they're, you, know, you wonder if it was Zechariah's family, right? They go, you know, they go to him. But, uh, but actually, they, they do that because formally, he would actually have the last say. At that time, it was the, it was the father's kind of legal right to name the son, which is why Joseph has to be told to name Jesus, Jesus. Joseph has to be told, even though he's, he's only a stepdad, or he's stepdad to Jesus. Um, Joseph actually legally would have had the authority to, to name Jesus. Same thing here. So Zechariah is the one with the authority. And so they go to Zechariah, and they, find a, they, they signal to him, apparently. And this is interesting, because we didn't know this until now, but apparently all this time, these long months, nine months and, and counting, Zechariah also couldn't hear. So we knew he couldn't talk. Now we find out he couldn't hear. Why do I say that? Because it says they made signs to him. If he could hear, they could just talk to him. But apparently he's been uh, deaf and mute this entire time. And so they're signing to him, and somehow he realizes this is what they're asking. They're asking about the baby's name. And so he, uh, I, I love the drama of this. It's actually the way that the Luke tells us the story. There's, there's some suspense that builds here. He says, get me something to write on. And uh, they don't bring him a yellow pad. Those haven't been invented yet. What they bring him is a, a wooden tablet. It's a wooden tablet with a coating of wax. We, we know this is how they did it. And so you'd have this coated wax, piece of wood with wax, and you'd write in the wax. And you could read what you wrote. And then it's kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch. You just warm it up afterwards and reuse it. So it's kind of how they did it. And so uh, he gets one of these tablets, and he writes, his name is John. So Zechariah confirms it. He couldn't hear the conversation. He didn't hear what his wife said. And so it's really striking. His name is John. In fact, the, the Luke emphasizes the, the people's reaction, right? It says, uh, they all wondered. They all wondered, it says there in that verse. Um, the NIV, I like the NIV. It says, uh, everyone was astonished. To everyone's astonishment, uh, he wrote, his name is John. Uh, the word there, wondered or astonished, it means to be amazed at something. Just, just amazed, filled with wonder, astonished. And so that's the reaction. They, he confirms, name the baby John, and everybody's like, whoa, wow. Why? And that seems like overkill, doesn't it? I mean, we name kids after other people who aren't in the family. I mean, I think of my own three children, all three of them, their first names are from outside of the family. There's no one in our family with any of those names. I mean, why is that so astonishing? Two reasons. One is the very kind of, the, the mundane one I've already explained, which is they're breaking with tradition. I mean, they really ought to, especially since, I mean, come on, they're not going to have another one. I mean, this is going to be their only child. And, and, and to not name him Zechariah is really a very surprising thing to do. But I think it's deeper than that, too. Because I think what, what you really have here happening is this, this dawning awareness. Th th this dawning awareness that God is doing something here. He's doing even more than, than they thought. I mean, yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of a pretty cool miracle that Elizabeth conceived in the first place. But maybe it's even bigger than that. Uh, the name John. Which again, we're so we're, we know there's a lot of Johns in the Bible, so we're like, yeah, what's the big deal? But again, this family didn't have any Johns. What does John mean? John means the Lord has given grace. That's what it means. Yahweh gives grace. The Lord has given grace. And I, I think there's a recognition here that, that his name is saying something. 
God is, God is moving here. Something is going on here even bigger than just a, a childless couple finally having a baby. And, and I think, again, there's a model here. There's an example for us to follow, which is that we are to look at our own lives the same way. God is doing something here. Something's going on here. The Lord is moving in our lives. And, but for us to see that, we have to pay attention. We have to be alert to his workings. We have to be watching for, for when and how and where the Lord is moving in our lives. We need to tune into it or we miss it. You, you know, I was thinking, I, I've got to say, I am so thankful that you and I get to live in a scientific age. I am very grateful for that. The medical advancements that we benefit from, the agricultural technologies that we enjoy in our area, the, the transportation options we have, even something as simple as electric lights. <laughs> I'm so glad to, to live at a time when we have access to those kinds of things. But there are some drawbacks. There are some drawbacks to those things, and one of them is that it becomes very easy for us in a scientific age, to lose our sense of wonder. We lose our sense of wonder. It's so easy to thank the doctor when we get better instead of thanking the Lord who, who actually healed us. It's so easy to credit a safe trip to good snow tires instead of the Lord's protective hand that got us home through that storm. It's, it's so easy to, to chalk up a healthy baby. Here, oh, look, here she is. She's bouncing baby girl. It's so easy to say, thank goodness I took those prenatal vitamins and you know, we had all that great care and good genetics and whatever else it might be. And to forget what the scriptures say. You know, that, that child was formed, was formed in, 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 in a miraculous way in her mother's womb, Psalm 139 tells us. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that it's the science stuff, the science side of it isn't actually happening. That's happening too. I'm glad for good snow tires. <laughs> but but, but we, if we only focus on the material side of those things, we, we cheat ourselves of awe. We deprive ourselves of the opportunity to see the hand of God working in our everyday lives. And so let's, uh, let's practice that one this week, too. Let's practice uh, looking for wonder. And again, this is a great, way to, great week to do it because there's so much wonder. There's so much wonder when it comes to the celebration of Christ's birth. Uh, I mean, even just, just think through some of the, the things we're talking about. The Creator enters His creation. Right? The creator of everything who stood outside of it and made it then enters into it. That's, that's awe-inspiring in and of itself. The, the infinite makes himself finite. The omnipotent embraces the weakness of an infant. The word, right? John chapter 1 talks about the word. It's this name for Jesus, and it's, but it's more than a name. It's really it's his essence. He is the word of God in, in a very real sense. The word becomes a, a baby whose only way to communicate is to cry. The word becomes a baby who can't talk, not at first. So much wonder there. So much wonder. The angels, the shepherds, the magi, all there's so much wonder. Uh, so many reasons to, to reflect on the wonder of the ways the Lord moved then and continues to move today. Well, number three, the third attitude that uh, we see in this text that helps us prepare our hearts for the Lord is reverence. Reverence for the Lord's Messiah. Reverence for Jesus. Reverence for Jesus. Uh, again, it's easy to, to let the fun parts of Christmas distract us from what we're celebrating, right? The, the trivial. When, when I, one of the routes I drive into church, uh, I drive by a house that is very nicely decorated, and they have a giant unicorn in the front yard. I'm not sure what a unicorn has to do with Christmas, but there it is. It's so easy to let that kind of stuff take us away from what we're talking about here. And I, I love them. I hope they're not here. Maybe it's somebody here with a unicorn. I love your unicorn. 
but it can distract us from what we're celebrating, which is that that baby in the manger is our God and King. Our baby in the manger is our God and King. And so we approach with joy, we approach with wonder, and we also ought to approach with reverence. We get a preview of this one as well. And it, it kind of, it erupts. All three of these erupt in chapter two. So you, and you, you, I don't know if I'll spend a lot of time with them next weekend, but you can just watch for them yourself when you read chapter two. You see joy, you see wonder, you see reverence when Jesus is born. But you get a preview of it here. You get a preview of the reverence here. Uh, let's uh, pick up in verse 64. And immediately his mouth, Zechariah's mouth, was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Another translation says praising God. And fear came on all their, all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. There was a buzz. There was a buzz because of this. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. So this crowd of people, mostly friends and relatives, this crowd of people is, is still processing their wonder uh, at what uh, is, is going here. And as they are, uh, things get even more amazing. Things get even more amazing. So they're kind of like, wow, John, huh? You're going to name him John. That's amazing. Things get even more amazing because Zechariah opens his mouth. Zechariah has been silent for nine months. I think we have every reason, put yourself in that position. You'd have every reason to think this was it for Zechariah. This, this, is, you know, this is what he's going to live with for the rest of his life, the poor man. And instead he opens his mouth and he starts praising God. This has quite the effect. It has quite the effect on his neighbors. Their wonder turns into fear. That's what you see in verse 65. And so verse 63, it's wonder. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. The New International Version uses the word awe here. And it says the neighbors were filled with awe, it says. And uh, that's, a, that's a good translation because that's the, the, the idea of fear that's used here. Um, the, the Greek word that's used here, sometimes the Bible will use this Greek word to talk about fear in its negative manifestation. So we talk about terror or dread. That this word means that, depending on the context. But sometimes the context will push you to a more uh, a positive de definition along the lines of like reverence or, or respect, wholesome, pure respect, that kind of idea. And I think that's what's intended here, which is why awe is a good translation. They were filled with awe. They were filled with reverence when they heard the things that John was saying. Uh, you say, why? Why did they feel this way? Well, the reason uh, is, is, is that now they really see God working. And I think, again, there's two reasons to see this. For one thing, they just saw a miracle. Again, we read these stories, we, we kind of get used to them. Yeah, Zechariah was mute for a while, but then he talked again. They didn't know that was going to happen. And so from their vantage point, they've just seen a miracle, a man who couldn't talk and talk again. And so I think that's part of it. That's kind of, wow, okay, wow. <laughs> but then on top of that, it's not just that he's talking, it's what he's saying. It's what he's saying. He's praising God, it says in verse 64. He opened his mouth and blessed. He opened his mouth and blessed God. And at this point, you say, well, what did he say? What did he say that, that filled them with this reverential awe? What was it? I think it's right here in the text. I think that's what you have. Uh, so verses 67 through 80, we didn't read them, but uh, most Bibles will label, label them Zechariah's prophecy. And I think the most natural way to read that passage is that that's what he said in verse, uh, in verse 64. And he spoke 
blessing God. Uh, here's what he said. So uh, we're not going to take the time to study through those. It's actually its own sermon. Uh, but I am going to read them. I'm just going to read Zechariah's song here. I want to read it. And I just want you to listen for the reverence. Listen for the reverence in Zechariah's words, especially reverence for the Messiah, the, almost the whole thing. There's a little bit about his son, which you'd expect him to be thanking God for and praising God for. But mo- the majority of what he says is about this, this one this one, and Mary knows maybe what's going on, Elizabeth maybe knows, but most of the people in the room don't know what he's talking about, except that they hear these things and they, they hear the promises about the Messiah. And, and that's where most of his reverence is directed. So let me just read it. Verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Those are some big promises. Zechariah says, here's some big promises God's fulfilling now. And then he turns, all of that was about Jesus. Then he turns to to his little baby. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. There's that mercy again whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Reverence, praise, worship, they're all right there. And I would submit to you that we should still have the same response. The birth of Jesus should still fill us with reverence today. Why? Because everything I just read from that passage is still true. It's still true. All those things that Zechariah talked about there, the forgiveness and the mercy and and deliverance from enemies, all these things, it's still available to us today. And it drives us to reverence, just like it drives him to this reverential worship. So what can we do to cultivate reverence? What can we do to cultivate reverence, especially this week? Well, again, two suggestions. Uh, My first suggestion is to uh, make sure you attend worship next weekend. There you go. <laughs> and maybe that's obvious, and hopefully it's easy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, you know, worship. Worship Jesus next weekend. I know a lot of you will be traveling. You know, Christmas falls on a Monday this year, and so you kind of get that built-in long weekend. And I've had several people tell me, we're, we're visiting this one, we're going that one. Um, that's great. En- enjoy the time with family. Uh, and, and I know that gets busy, and some grandma or great-grandma is going to say, we've got to do it at 11 a.m. on Sunday or whatever it is. Uh, I would urge you to... To make Jesus the priority. Make sure you worship Jesus. Find a time. It doesn't have to be a morning service. Go find an afternoon one if that makes Grandma happy. But make sure you worship Jesus. And know your Christmas carols playlist doesn't count. Get with some believers. Go to a church. If you're out of town, go to, go to a church there. Worship with other believers, especially this time of year. So that, that's one suggestion. Go, go celebrate the birth of Jesus with other believers. Uh, my other suggestion is, is uh, almost the opposite. You know, so that one, you know, get with other people. This one is set some time a, 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 to, this week to be alone. 
Get some time this week to be alone with God. Somewhere in there. Somehow get alone with him. And I know it's busy. I, I, I believe it. I, I get it. I know it's a busy time of year. But, but do those things that help you cultivate your own relationship with the Lord. Don't let celebrating his birth of all things crowd out your own relationship with him. And so spend some time in scripture. Make, keep having your devotions. Right? Keep, keep having your devotions. Take a break from uh, last Christmas and I gave you my heart and all that stuff. You know, take a break from that for a little while and, and, and listen to some worship music, some Christmas worship music even. Whatever works for you, you know, it, whatever works for you, make time for Jesus. Make time to focus on him this Christmas. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you for uh, the reminder this morning from, uh, from the birth of John. It's such a crucial story, and there's a lot here we didn't touch on this morning. But, but just to look at it through this lens of how does it help us prepare, just thank you that uh, it's, it's so crucial for us to prepare these ways. And so I pray that you will help us to be a people, not just here at the Christmas season, but even as we, you know, before we know it, we're launching into a new year. Help us to be people who cultivate joy by reflecting on your mercies, who, who cultivate wonder by watching for how you're moving, how you've moved in the past and how you still move today. And, and maybe most of all, reverence. Reverence for our Savior, reverence for our Messiah. Help us to appreciate in a new way how wonderful and glorious and worthy you are of all of our praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.